Hello and welcome to another episode of the 94 Feet Report NBA podcast. I am one of your hosts, as always, Eric Spiropoulos. You can follow me on Twitter at Eric Spiros NBA. Um, it is July 15th, so it's been it's been a little bit of a while since we had our last episode. Our last episode was, I believe, in July 3rd or 4th. Um, so we've got a lot to talk about in terms of free agency. We had a couple trades, restricted free agents, got some offers, got some rumors um, from some notable players as well. So, uh, Corbin, how are you doing tonight? Hey, I'm doing good, Eric. Like you said, you can't. It seems like every time you take a day off, you know, a couple of days just to catch a, catch your breath and get caught up, and then a plethora of moves and signings happen. Next thing you know, I'm like, oh, what do we talk about again? What just happened? It's NBA, man. Exactly. That's why we have a running Google Doc of just bulleted bulleted list of all the <laughs> signings and everything like that. So I think the most logical place to start um, is. The restricted free agents and a restricted free agent that was renounced and became unrestricted in Jabari Parker. But we'll group them into this group of these three kind of restricted free agents that got offer sheets. Um, and we'll start off with, with Zach Levine. Um, and so basically what happened, this was, this is again, you know, it's July 15th. This happened a while ago. So people who have already kind of listened to other podcasts about it, we're just getting to it. But the basically the, the Sacramento Kings offered Zach Levine four years, $78 million. And that report came out, and Twitter blew up. Obviously, everyone was going, you know, hashtag Kangs, like K-A-N-G-Z, because they were making a dumb move again, or, you know, going after a guy who's, you know, really bad defensively, could have some, you know, injury issues down the line, has not really shown to be a capable, like, number one guy, or even maybe a number two guy, honestly, and that's obviously number one slash number two money in today's NBA. Um, And the fact that they had other guys on their, you know, on the wing, like Bogdanovich, Buddy Heald, um to play, you know, that, you know, arguably were just as good or better than Zach Levine. Um, so people criticized that offer. And basically, initially, I thought, and, and my assumption was that, oh, there's no way the Bulls match this. But then after reading a couple articles about it and also just thinking about it, I mean, it made more sense that they would match it. And obviously, everyone knows by now that they did end up matching the offer. So Zach Levine is going back to Chicago, four years, $78 million. What do you think about this deal? What do you think about the, the Bulls' decision to match it? And, and how do you think? Levine kind of as a player can really fit into this Bulls team and and maybe more importantly how can he grow as a player himself to even be worth anywhere close to this kind of money you know it's interesting I I had mixed feelings about first the offer sheet and then the Bulls matching that I thought you know he's 23 um, a flashy player you know obviously the dunk contest everything I figured okay you know Chicago matched it because um, you almost need after the trade they did letting out Jimmy Butler and I think it's more of an organizational management strategy where if you make a trade and you get any assets back and let's say there's a chance that they can go you know whether it's a free agent or one that you might have a chance to retain that is almost the norm to try to retain that player if nothing else to say that we got something back for x marquee star that we traded away with zach Levine, it's a lot more interesting because if i was chicago i might have done the same he's still just 23 and i think they flashed major upside first with minnesota he didn't really have that great a season in Chicago, but then again, he was coming off that ACL injury. Um, looking back on Minnesota, that 2016-2017 season, he averaged 18.9 points per game, um, hit nearly 46% of his shots, um, did a lot of... He, he's really good, ironically, making one of the worst shots in basketball, which is the off-the-dribble type of three. Like, that's routinely not a good high-percentage shot in general, and is also a tough shot to make, and it seems like those are the ones he's most comfortable with. But as a shooting guard, I think that he's okay. Um, defensively is his major struggle, and he had a, a year on the offensive side with Minnesota where he played as point guard. Didn't really do that well. 
I think it helped a little bit in his development where he has a, about average to just above average court vision, but you can see that he's really just there to fill it up. My thing is this. He's 23, um, plenty of room to grow, and I think the contract will be okay by the time he's out, be like 27, 28. It's not going to be that big a deal. Um, the only issue for me is if his defense is that bad now and he's been in the league, what, three years now, coming off the ACL injury as he did, it's a mixture of not having that defensive awareness to even lock in to, to understand where things are coming from, but it's also the injury kind of limits that lateral movement to an extent. So I think if you're paying that much for a one-way talent, I don't know if you do that. But for Chicago, you're looking – I mean, this is the rebuild time. You're trying to find cornerstones and building blocks to build around. And if you can build around a all-offense, no-defense player – I mean, you bet on the upside and you bet on the chance that he has room to improve and you kind of go from there. So the price, you know, a little bit steep for me. But again, the Chicago Bulls didn't offer that sheet. The Kings did and Chicago was just in position to match and decided to to do that. So I'm, I'm OK with it, all things considered. And, and I, I agree. I, I'm OK with it, but it's mainly because of the Bulls situation as a team, because um, and we'll talk about the move they made with Jabari Parker, but that also has an interesting contract situation there as well, is that the fact that they can still have a lot of cap space moving forward, even with this contract on the books, because they're just there. Robin Lopez comes off the books next summer after this season. Um, they pretty much got all these guys on their rookie deals or just cheap deals. And they got Zach Levine's number. I mean, I think, I think they can even get upwards of like 40 million next summer, even with Zach Levine. So it's not like, it's not like they matched this and then kind of t- tied their cap space up moving forward. This is a big contract, but they will still have a lot of financial flexibility next summer if they want to add players, if they want to maybe take on bad salary to get more assets, if they want to continue the rebuild. As a player, I-, I don't think Levine will ever live up to this contract, and and that's not blaming him obviously because it's his you know it's his the whole point of free- restricted free agency to go out there and get your money and, and have your team match it or, or not match it, or whatever. Um, he's really, I mean, he's really bad defensively. Like, I mean, if you just look up <laughs> like the traditional numbers that he has, you mentioned it, of course, that season with Minnesota before you got injured, basically 19 points, three assists, three and a half rebounds, almost 39% on threes attempting over six and a half per game. I mean, if he could actually become that kind of shooter, that's huge for his development. If he can be like an 18 points a game, you know, four assists, four rebounds, shoot above average three-point percentage on, like, over five attempts per game. You know, if he can do that and provide the offensive value, that's good. The defensive value is horrible. I mean, all of his advanced metrics, like, are just uh, basically abysmal. I mean, they really they really are bad. I mean, defensive box plus one, and obviously defensive metrics are really noisy, but when they're consistently this bad, I think you kind of, and everyone knows when you watch him, it's bad too. But defensive box plus minus, have, as each of his four seasons in the league, have always been negative 2.0 or lower. Um, his PER has always been below league average. Um, he's shouldered some pretty high usage percentages, but his, his efficiency has not been great. Uh, you know, last year, only 24 games, he had a, almost a 30% usage percentage, which is extremely high. Um, yeah. But his efficiency was really bad. True shooting under 50%, which is, I mean, that's bad. Um, he, the Basically, the advanced metrics basically say that he doesn't really contribute to winning. He'll just put up points on the board and, you know, get a couple assists here and there and, and, and obviously have flashy dunks. But he doesn't really contribute to winning. And, you know, that's been the knock on guys like Devin Booker as well, who also got a max extension, at, at, at obviously, $158 million. Um, mm-hmm. But so basically, my, my in a vacuum, Levine, in my opinion, will never live up to this contract. But that is OK, because that's how restricted free agency works. And from the Bulls perspective, I don't have a problem with them matching it because of the realization that they're going to have financial flexibility moving forward. If you told me that this matching this contract would have prevented them 
from opening up max cap space moving forward, I would have just let him go. I just don't think he'll live up to this contract and be worth the money moving forward. But the fact that they can have him on this contract and still add either a young piece or go, you know, star hunting if anyone's going to go to Chicago and during this with this roster. But theoretically, just the fact that they have cap flexibility, I think, is huge. And, and the, basically the only reason why I'm okay with them kind of matching this offer. And, and the, you know, the thing you said about management viewing it from, like, he was a key asset in return for Jimmy Butler, that is mm-hmm. that is the worst – maybe not the worst. That's one of the worst ways to think and, and build your team, honestly, because – Oh, for to, sure. You have to view that as a thing in the past, and it's, it's over. It's like a dead – Basically, if you wanted to get the, if you didn't want to match him, and if you didn't have fi- financial flexibility to match him in this offer, you have to view him as a dead asset. Because number one, you got Laurie Markkinen, who looks to be a very promising player, and uh, number two, you got Chris Dunn, who also looks like he's a very solid defensive point guard, kind of a nice, c- kind of a nice fit next to Levine to make up for his defensive problems. But that doesn't really do it. But you really just have to view it as a, as a thing in the past. I mean, the, the trade happened. You should never kind of build your team moving forward on something that happened in the past, just for how it view how, how it looks to your fans or how it looks on the surface. Um, you know, maybe that's not their main reasoning. Maybe their main reasoning is that they have the financial flexibility so they can build that. But I think in their mind that was part of their thinking, and that's just that's just terrible thinking. No matter what your team is, no matter what situation is, you can never build your team for the future based on a move that happened in the past. Um, but in the end, I'm I'm fine with this deal basically because they have the financial flexibility moving forward. Oh yeah, I was gonna say there's no question in my mind that that factored at least partly in their in their thinking to retain him because that's just the way NBA front offices are for some weird reason and as you said just a dumb reason but basically what I'm getting from you is and I kind of feel the same way this is almost he's almost this year's Andrew Wiggins as far as you know you're putting all, you're investing a lot of money in a player that you don't think will live up to that contract you're hoping that he gets to maybe 60 to 70 percent of that um, hopefully give you you know some good points maybe iota of rebounding and assists um, maybe pretend that you play defense and um, just kind of be that guy for you. That, that's basically what I'm getting. Do you think that he'll have a better line than Andrew Wiggins um, <laughs> just in general? Oh, man, that's tough. <laughs> and, and honestly, really, and if you want to match up the contracts even better, the Andrew Wiggins versus Devin Booker is like – and I would take Booker honestly, but their contracts yeah. are, are more similar than Levine's to Wiggins. But they're all, all three of these players are kind of sure. that had that same knock, right? They put up points. They're flashy. They're exciting, but they don't really contribute to wins. Um and, you know, I think that this year will be interesting. I mean, Wiggins has had – I mean, Booker has, a, like, minor injuries, nothing major. Wiggins has had no injuries. I mean, the guy's durability is really impressive. Um, and then Levine obviously had the ACL, which is, you know, a big injury. Um, so I kind of grouped them all in the same category. Um, two of them have bigger contracts than Levine and are in different situations in terms of Wiggins kind of in a, in a win-now situation, even though he's only, I think, 21 or 22 now. And Booker's sons are finally looking like they're trying to compete for the playoffs and, you know, who knows what the Bulls are really doing. But <laughs> – I mean, if forced to pick between Wiggins and Levine and factoring in the contracts, honestly, I, I might take Levine just for the contract. It's just, it's just so much better. Um, yeah. I think Wiggins is a better player because he actually can play defense um, on a decent you know, basis. He doesn't do it all the time. Um, but if you really lock him in and get engaged, he can actually play defense and, and be good for most of a game. Um, the offense is obviously a concern as well. But we're kind of straying off a little bit too far because I want to get to oh, yeah. the – wing slash big version of Zach Levine who happens to be joining him in Chicago now that's Jabari Parker who uh, the Bucks rescinded him um, and then the Bulls just offered him two years 40 million dollars 
key thing is that the second year is a team option. That's that's really huge when evaluating this contract. And this is a guy you want to talk about Levine's injury, you know, problem of one eight torn ACL. Jawai Parker had two torn ACLs. Um, and listen, he, he honestly, I, I honestly think he basically is the Zach Levine of bigs and wings. Um, what this means, pretty much, with Markinen and Wendell Carter there, who should be that should be the basic that should be the starting front court. Uh, otherwise, they're doing things wrong there. Have Robin Lopez come off the bench as like a veteran piece, anyways. Basically, what this means is that Jabari Parker is going to start and probably play the vast majority of his minutes at small forward. When really, we I mean, everyone knows he's best for power forward. He just doesn't have the mobility and the uh, quickness. His foot speed is you know his lateral movement. It's just he's going to be torn apart. At small forward defensively, and you put him next to Levine uh, on defense, those two guys kind of guarding their wing players, it's going to be an absolute. It's just going to be atrocious. Um, on the offensive end, the fit is interesting. Markkinen can space the floor. Wendell Carter can space the floor a decent amount. Obviously, Levine, if he can, you know, go back to shooting above average on three pointers, can space the floor. Jabari Parker is a career thirty-five percent. You know, he actually two years ago, 2016-2017, shot about 37% on almost four attempts per game. It was three and a half, really. Um, if he can shoot like that, that'll be huge for their offense. And Chris Dunn's not really a shooter, but, you know, with, with four basically having four shooters around Chris Dunn, that offense could be really good. And I think that what, that's basically kind of what they're going for, um, besides the fact that they're banking on young talent here, is that the fact that they're going to build this really nice offense. They're going to be terrible defensively, um, but they're going to be exciting. They're going to be young. Um, and they're going to have some potential. Obviously, it's risky potential um, with Parker's injuries. But again, that second-year team option basically means that if his first year is really bad or he gets injured again, they just they just decline the team option and he re-enters free agency. There's really no there's no risk for Chicago uh, for Chicago here. I hated it when the when I heard the report that they were offering him two years forty before the team option came out. But now that the team option's in this situation, I don't like that he's playing small forward. Um, I think it'll be terrible defensively. It's very intriguing offensively. It makes him even more of a league pass team. In my opinion um but really i, I feel like there's no downside I, I mean this is a no risk move uh, a low risk move actually there's really no risk because if he if he you know sucks or gets injured you just decline the team option if he's good you get him for a second year the only problem is that if he becomes you know if he actually stays healthy and becomes really good on this contract then you only have two years of control with him and then he becomes unrestricted free agent in which case you could lose him after two years but i don't think anyone anyone is really banking on him becoming that good enough to kind of force their the Bulls' hand and, and you know have cause them to lose Parker after two years, but really after this long ramble, <laughs> which I always do, um, basically uh, my opinion is that there's just n- almost no risk for the Bulls here. And while I don't like the fit itself, especially on defense, I think it's intriguing, it's fun, and it adds another young player that has potential still to their young core. Even though I don't think there really can be much potential with Parker and Levine as your kind of two key guys next to Markkinen. Um, but really, Markkinen and Wendell Carter, I think, are the two best prospects on this team anyways. But that's my ramble. I don't mind it for the Bulls at all. Good for Parker to get paid. Um, let's see if he can stay healthy, and let's see if he can fit offensively because we know it's going to be bad defensively. Yep. You, you pretty much said it earlier. Two words, league pass. That's kind of the team I'm looking at them as. Um, having Jabari Parker there, as you said, when I first heard it, I was like, what the heck? I was going to put the Bulls right there with the Kings just as far as financial irresponsibility and taking horrible bets on players that are already hampered alongside injury concerns. But with that second year being a team option, I think it's great. As you already stated, if he plays well, great. We keep him. If not, bye. Simple as that. Um, At the three, defensively, as you said, he's going to get cooked. Um, I don't know what it is with some teams and playing players that are best suited for four, obviously. 
Now Jabari Parker, I don't really get it, but they like to shoehorn them in those roles, even though we all know where he's best at. Offensively, will be interesting because, you know, when healthy, he is a versatile scorer. Um, he has improved his three-point shot, and we already knew going in that he had the ability to score both in the mid-range area and posting with smaller players. So offensively, slotted alongside Zach Levine and Wendell Carter and, and Larry Markinen, um, I think it's going to be a nice fit you know, having a variety of different weapons on that end that can work in different ways and kind of mesh in a weird way. Um, Defensively, it's horrible. It's already going to be funky just matchup-wise, lineup-wise, because you already have Laurie Markkinen and Bobby Portis, who actually played pretty well last year um, and kind of has much of the same game as Jabari, but just a much, I wouldn't even say a much poorer man, just a less flashier version. Um, Yeah, defensively, as you said, it's going to be ugly. Chris Dunn and Robin Lopez are the only standout defenders I see on that. Um, Markkinen has shown stretches of being effective as like a team defender, but we already know what Levine is and um, <laughs> was Jabari Parker there as well. It'll be fun. Yeah, I mean, basically what I'm thinking about with this move, and, and you basically hit all the points, is that... Like the contract, so there we are. Yeah. I mean, they're, they're, what I'm looking at for this move is that they are lucky that they have Markkinen who can really space the floor at an elite level because that will allow... Parker to maybe operate more in the mid-range, kind of posting up his smaller defender, which he might have on a regular basis now that he's playing at the three. Um, and the fact that Markkinen can space the floor at an elite level and kind of stand on the perimeter, uh, which you don't really want to always do with a guy like Markkinen to kind of stunt his growth. But there's going to be guys – it's going to be weird because we'll see how, this guy, how these mesh. Like Levine obviously wants his shots. Parker wants his shots. Markkinen has to continue developing. they got Wendell Carter, who's not like this elite go-to offensive guy, but you know obviously he's get his role, and he's a great passer, so you can initiate the offense through him. Chris Dunn handling the ball. He can't really play off the ball with his poor shooting. So this offense is going to be interesting. I'm not going to say it's definitely going to be you know, really good. Honestly, they're young players. They can make mistakes. They can struggle. Uh, Parker and Levine's shooting can decline. Um, you know, Something else could not work. Or it could be an injury or something like that. But they obviously are going for a more offensive-oriented team. They're young. They're going to be intriguing. Basically, it's a league pass team. And, and with that second-year team option, I, I feel like there's no downside for Chicago. And for Parker, he gets... If, if it's only one year, he gets $20 million to kind of reboot, reboot his value, stay healthy... Maybe show a little bit more of an offensive game. Maybe you know, maybe try and get more engaged defensively. I mean, he he lacks the movement physically, athletically, but maybe he can kind of improve a little bit. Um, and if it works, he gets another year of twenty million. If not, he tries to enter the market at a time where he's an interesting player with injury concerns. But um, so the, the, those are the Bulls' moves, and I, I think they're intriguing. I I think there's little risk with Parker for Levine. It'll be interesting, but again, they still have the financial flexibility. Um, you know, if they decline the team option on Parker, they will still be able to have max cap space next time. I'm add another piece, anyways. Um, so those are the, the the Bulls' moves. They kind of targeted youth and and just kind of put pieces there without really you know making a puzzle at the moment. Um, but we'll <laughs> see if something happens at the, you know moving forward and what they do next summer if they want to continue the rebuild or try and strike next summer in terms of actually competing for the playoffs. Um, another f- restricted free agent that got an offer, again, this was a while ago, Kyle Anderson. Um, the Grizzlies offered him four years, $37 million. Um, and it, it was weird because people were basically hit or miss. Some people said, yeah, the Spurs are going to match this. Some people said, no, they're not going to match this. Some people said they should. Some people said they shouldn't. Ultimately, the Spurs did not match. So Kyle Anderson is now a Grizzly, um, projected starting small forward for the Grizzlies. And this is a team that was bad. It was horrible last year. The 20-62, and 62, I believe. Um, they drafted um, uh, Jaron Jackson Jr. Um, and, you know, Javon Carter in the second round. Um, but their owner basically came out and said that we are looking to compete for the playoffs this year. Um, Mike Conley's returning. He's healthy. He missed basically – I think he played only 12 games last year. Um, Marcus Gasol, 
should be happier, maybe a little bit more engaged now. Um, and then you throw in Kyle Anderson, and, and the fit is really, really weird. And, and this is where it comes into, like, the, I'm fine with the contract because, number one, the Grizzlies are not going to be adding young talent through free agency. No one's going to go to Memphis for free agency, really. I mean, Tyreek Evans did it last year, kind of like at the middle of July on a one-year deal to reboot his value, and it worked perfectly because now he got $12 million from the Pacers. Um, but no young kind of asset and, and good developing player is going to go to Memphis because they don't really have any – uh, financial flexibility, especially due to the Chandler Parsons contract. Um, and they're just not going to, you know, if they don't plan on tanking and bottoming out, for the, first of all, they don't have their draft pick um, next year if they, I mean, unless they tank. Um, otherwise, it's going to the Celtics. So really, adding Kyle Anderson, a 24-year-old, very, very unique player. I feel like people who don't watch him um, just feel like, oh, wait, you know, look at his traditional stats, like seven points a game, three assists, whatever, can't shoot threes. He plays like he's playing in slow motion. I mean, his nickname is literally slow-mo. Even his Twitter uh, name is slow-mo. That's how much he embraces that. Um, but it kind of works for Memphis. I mean, if, if you sh- surround him with shooters like Mike Conley, Marcus Hull can space the floor. Jaron Jackson has shown good shooting ability in summer league. Dylan Brooks can shoot the three ball at a, at a league average rate. Chandler Parsons can shoot when he's playing um, at above <laughs> league average rate. Um, they got a bunch of guys. Wayne Selden off the bench can shoot. Um, Marshawn Brooks, you know, we can can you know obviously put the ball in the basket. Uh, Omri Caspi, they signed for veterans minimum. He can shoot a little bit. Um, Jermichael Green can shoot a little bit. Like they don't have a lot of they don't have great shooting, and they probably will struggle. And they don't. This is a team that doesn't really shoot a lot of threes anyways, and always is the towards the bottom of the league offensively. Um, but really offensively, he creates a player who can play make and create for others on the wing, which they really have not had. And they try they signed Chandler Parsons to be that kind of guy who can average you know three to four, maybe five assists per game on the wing, take the ball out of Mike Conley's hands. Um, we could see this work with Kyle Anderson initiating and Mike Conley playing off the ball. Um, Kyle Anderson's good with cuts, so maybe he can kind of cut while Marcus Gasol has the ball and is initiating out of the post. He's also a capable post playmaker, uh, Gasol. It's interesting offensively. I don't love it. It's not going to be great. He's probably best suited as a power forward um, with his lateral movement and just the way he plays and his lack of shooting. Um, but if Jaron Jackson can shoot, you know, league average on three pointers alongside Gasol and Conley, it's, I think it's a little bit. It's just enough in the shooting in the starting lineup. And then defensively, Kyle Anderson is very good defensively. You don't. He doesn't look like it. He's very slow, um, but he's extremely intelligent. He gets a good amount of blocks and steals for his athleticism and his, the way he plays the game. He's very smart. He's long, huge wingspan. Um, gives him another solid defender on the wing. Uh, again, something they really haven't had that much. You know, Tony Allen was a little bit undersized, and he's obviously gone. Uh, Mike Conley's undersized, but good at the point guard position. Jaron Jackson has elite defensive potential. Dylan Brooks was solid defensively. This team, if they stay healthy and they roll out a, a starting lineup of Conley, Brooks, Kyle Anderson, J- uh, Jaron Jackson, and Marcus Sowell, that has top 10 defense written all over if they stay healthy. The offensive end is going to be a problem. The shooting is going to be a problem for the most part with this team. Um, but I like the signing because – they're not going to get this kind of young player at 24 that can grow with this core. You know, you throw him in now with Dylan Brooks and Jaron Jackson, Javon Carter, um, and that's a decent young core there. Obviously, their stars are aging and past their prime pretty much. Um, but I like this contract because I don't think it's an overpay. If it, I mean, a slight overpay at the, at the little bit. But again, as I mentioned, no one's going to go to Memphis in free agency. Why not get this young player who fits with their grit and grind style, which is what they want to go to? Um, I'm, I'm not like 100% in on this move. I'm like 85% in on this move for Memphis and obviously for Kyle Anderson. I think it's a good fit and he got paid coming out of the Spurs system. So I think it's a good move for the for the Grizzlies. Yeah, I, he kind of had basically all my points. I agree. He's more of a Swiss Army knife. Um, he can fill a number of roles. Um, I think he's like a, a, a jack of all trades but not really a master of any of them really. Um, at least not yet. He has great passing ability, 
um, being able to see from that end gives a, a, a bit of playmaking from that spot. One thing I am concerned about, there are a lot of power forwards on this team. Um, there's uh, Chandler Parsons that could play power forward. So Jermichael Green, Omri Caspi, Deontay Davis, Chandler Parsons, Jarrell Martin, Ivan Rabb, um, and of course Anderson. That That's a lot of players that all would get some time conceivably, but you know could, could potentially jam that spot. I think at small forward, he'll be good. Um, he shoots a three around 33%, uh, not really a high volume, but with the three-point shooters that are on that team that can stretch the floor, Jermichael Green can do it. We know Marc Gasol. He kind of ran down the list of the others. I think it'll be interesting. And, yes, he can take the ball out of Conley's hands, and we saw that when Conley doesn't have the ball the entire time, he can be even more um, potent offensively and give another look because he can be more aggressive on that end. So I'm with you. I'm probably a little less optimistic. I think it's going to be cool to have um, Anderson on that grit and grind culture. He he just kind of fits with them, even though it's no longer that's no longer exactly a thing in Memphis now. But they still have players that kind of define that that are down and dirty, aren't really known for their flashiness, but get the job done. Um, I think culture wise, it'll be a great fit. Uh, I'd give it maybe 75, 80 percent. I'm happy about it. It's it's an interesting contract. I, I don't think it's that bad a deal. It'll run through until he's about 28, which I think is good. That kind of gets his prime value. So I think it'll be a good deal. Yeah, I, I mean, I'm fine with it. And this, again, this appears to be a defensive-oriented signing. Um, for those of you who didn't haven't seen me on Twitter, I write for Grizzly Bear Blues on SB Nation, and I had an article that was basically focused on how the addition of Kyle Anderson and Jaron Jackson and Javon Carter and a healthy Conley and a more engaged Gasol can lead to a top-10 defense for the Grizzlies. And that basically looks like what they're going for. I mean— I mean, they just—they have guys who are good enough offensively, but the fit isn't good enough. They don't really have enough shooting. They don't really have enough of a modern offense to be an elite offense. Um, For real. And basically, they're going to go back to the grit and grind of we're going to win games defensively and try and sneak into the playoffs. I don't think it's going to work. Um, and I do think that they, uh, you know, trying to rebuild by trading their their two guys that are aging. Um, you know, I'm not sure what they can get. Obviously, there haven't really been that many reports, but that's probably their best move. But I don't want to stray on that. That could be a whole episode right there in terms of which <laughs> team should rebuild and which team shouldn't. But um, right. I think that this move is fine. It gets a young player basically throughout most of his prime. Um, he fits their culture. Um, the fit offensively is, is, is not great. It's not, it's not even good pretty much. But the fit defensively I think is very good. Um, and if he plays up to this level, def- if he plays like he has been recently defensively and he can help Mike Conley by initiating the ball and, and you know playmaking for others and setting up Gasol a little bit, setting up Jaron Jackson, helping out a little bit, I think this will work out great for the Grizzlies. If not, it's a slight overpay. But again, they weren't going to add somebody anyways that you know is a young asset for this you know much money, um, and they don't really have much financial flexibility moving forward anyways. If Gasol picks up a player option, they've still got Parsons on the book, they still got Conley on the book. So I'm fine with this move for the Grizzlies, you know, overall in a vacuum. Yep, right there with you, man. All right, so that's pretty much like the key restricted free agents that signed, and you know, obviously Jabbar Parker was kind of a restricted free agent, but wasn't. So let, let's move to. Uh, trades that we had that will will kind of combine with the signing that occurred so um so free agency had died down for a little bit this happened late last week and and all of a sudden it was like 12 it was like midnight eastern time and i was trying to go to bed i was like oh nice you know calm day i can go to bed early all of a sudden like three different <laughs> wash bombs on my phone and basically what happened was the nuggets are trading kenneth farid and darrell arthur along with a protected 29 first round pick it's protected one through 12 um, and then a 2020 second-round pick to the Brooklyn Nets for Isaiah Whitehead, who's going to be waived. So basically what this is, and we talked about this 
when we analyzed, I think it was our first, it was like our July 1st show when we analyzed the Jokic and Barton signings because we basically, we, we knew that this was coming because the Nuggets were going to be high into the luxury tax and they had a, a expensive team that we, they were just not going to pay that much luxury tax. So we, we, we knew a cost-cutting trade was coming, but we didn't know that they were going to get off both Fareed and Arthur, um, which I think is, is the significant part of this trade is that they got off out of both of them, which means they put them below the luxury tax completely um, rather than only getting off you know Arthur and paying a small luxury tax bill. They are they are below the luxury tax completely right now. Um, they lose some depth here. Arthur was basically dead money. Fareed could play, but he was pretty much you know in and out of the rotation and, and doesn't really fit now that they have Jokic playing a lot at center and Plumlee who's a center and Fareed with his lack of shooting in today's NBA is basically a center. Um, obviously they got Paul Millsap and Trey Lyles a power forward. So the, the Fareed just fell out of the rotation. Arthur was dead money, giving up an asset. A first-round pick to save money is 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 always tough, and I think that you know it has to kind of frustrate Nuggets fans a little bit that ownership is just refusing to pay you know luxury tax at all. I mean, they could have gotten off Darrell Arthur for probably just a second-round pick, honestly, um, and they could have paid a small luxury tax bill for this team that's going to be a playoff team and not giving up a first-round pick, but. They wanted to completely get out of the tax, so they had to give up a first-round pick that they're most likely going to convey because they're probably going to be a playoff team. Um, and you know, subsequently, you know, the Nets to do this trade traded Jeremy Lin in a 2025 second rounder plus the rights to swap 2023 second round picks. My God, it's 2018. We're talking about 2025 picks. Um, <laughs> ridiculous. Um, to the Hawks for a 2020 second rounder. So basically, you know, we'll analyze that first, but. Um, well, I mean, we'll analyze that after we get done with the Nuggets part of this because the Nuggets made another move. But the Nuts, the Nets had to make that trade to then take on the Fareed and Arthur contract. So I wanted to mention that. Um, but before we get to that, the Nuggets free agency edition was signing Isaiah Thomas, notable for saying that they the Celtics better back the Brinks truck up for him. Um, unfortunately, a one-year minimum deal is not what he was talking about. Um, but basically for Isaiah Thomas, <laughs> it's funny, right? The Nuggets... The Nuggets sucked defensively, and they added arguably like the worst defensive player in the league. Um, and I'm fine with it. I mean, he's going to be a six-man scorer now. Now that they traded away Wilson Chandler and given the starting job to Will Barton, uh, you know they they let you know Will Barton was their six-man off the bench kind of spark plug, scoring, initiating the offense. He moves into the starting lineup. You needed that. I mean, you're not going to rely on Malik Beasley or anything like that to initiate the offense or Trey Lyles. Isaiah Thomas, six-man, can compete. And kind of push Jamal Murray to keep improving. Um, he's terrible defensively. This team is going to be horrible defensively. Even if they didn't sign Isaiah Thomas, I would predict that the Nuggets would be bottom 10 defensively anyway. So, I mean, people are like, oh, what about the defense? They were going to be terrible defensively anyways. I mean, why not get this? I mean, they needed a backup point guard. You're not going to rely on their Monte Morris, who was a second-round pick last year. Uh, you can't rely on that. They could have brought back a guy like Devin Harris. But if you can get Isaiah Thomas, we don't know how healthy he is. But if you get a, you know... Even if he's fully healthy or like 80%, 90% healthy on a minimum deal, he can he can score. He can initiate the offense. He can play make for others. He can lead that second unit. Uh, I see no downside. It's a one-year minimum. Maybe there could be a locker room issue because he's had locker room issues. He had locker room issues last year. Um, but listen, he reunites with Mike Malone, who's kind of one of his main believers as a coach, um, obviously besides Brad Stevens. But um, I think this is a, there's very, very little risk. The only risk here is kind of maybe potential locker room issues if he's not happy with his role um, or if he you know isn't happy with his situation or something like that or what, whatever it happens to be. Um, but he 
And all the reports were that he sat down with Mike Maloney, sat down with Nuggets front office. He kind of knew what his role was as that sixth man. And for a team that's going to be bad defensively, I like the addition of this offensive spark plug to replace Will Barton's kind of scoring and initiating punch off the bench. Um, and I like this move for the Nuggets. I think it gives them another player that can help them make the playoffs next year. Oh, yeah. Um, and, and we talked about the Chicago Bulls being a fun league pass team. You might as well slot the Denver Nuggets right alongside them. Oh, um, they are number one for me. <laughs> they are number one with this offense right now. Oh, yeah, it's, it's going to be uh, electric. They might lose games 138 to 125, but, like, if they do, it's still going to be fun to watch it. And also, there's so much firepower on that team. I mean, we can go down the, the list with Jamal Murray and Gary Harris and um, Nikola Jokic and, and, and Will Barton, and now you have Isaiah Thomas. And, I mean, uh, Paul Millsap. Oh, my goodness, forgot about Paul. Like, it's just a list, a plethora of offensive options that I think will really mesh well together. You, you add the altitude up there and the fact that they're going to run up and down, that's going to be fun, okay? Um, as far as the trade is concerned, I do think it's, it's, a, pr- it's a pretty good win for the, the, for the Nuggets front office. Um, it is kind of interesting, and as you said, for fans, I would be disappointed as well that they're not even trying to at least – now, I wouldn't say embrace the luxury tax, but if you're trying to win, you're trying to compete, you have a team on the rise, if you have to go there, you have to go there. Cost-cutting measures in general – they can be seen as being more cautious and prioritizing the money over the winning and the contributions on the court, which can have a negative effect on the fan base moving forward in the future if things didn't go right. But for the short term, they did clear over $21 million in salary. Um, all they had to do for that was lose a protected first-round pick and an unspecified second-round pick. Um, they didn't even have to take on any money because Isaiah Whitehead's contract was not guaranteed and was waived immediately. So they did get under the luxury tax threshold, so they still have that full 8.6 mid-level exception to work with. Um, that's probably used after some of it to sign Isaiah Thomas. They likely won't have the full MLE, but it's still enough to bring someone else if they wanted to as far as a free agent of any value to them to Denver. So that is kind of cool. On the money side, they worked it out pretty well. Um, you never want to deal picks in that end. And I, I think on... On, on the one hand, I feel like the plays they got rid of weren't of much note. I mean, I almost forgot Darrell Arthur was on the Nuggets, so there you go for that. That's your, uh, that's your little trivia there. Um, and then Ken Fareed, just kind of his fit wasn't there anymore. We've already seen he played a career low uh, 14 minutes a night. You know, as an energy effort guy, that's great to have. I think he'll fit okay in Brooklyn, especially as a mentor role, and obviously he'll get some minutes. But it just wasn't needed in Denver anymore. There you had bigs that could play, and it's the way that um, Coach Mike Malone had the lineup set up with um, – the four and five and Paul Millsap and Jokic really getting a lot of time. There wasn't really a, a lot of room for Farid. He was kind of pressed out of that rotation. So I think it's a good cost-cutting measure. I'm really excited about Isaiah Thomas, and I feel bad because ju- it just shows you – I mean, this is why as as fans we cannot get mad when players want their money and they leave to go to other teams to get their money because you look at a player like Isaiah Thomas, he wanted that big payday. He put himself in position as best as he could to get that. And now that, that payday, in my opinion, is never going to come. I mean, I'm sure you agree and most other NBA fans will. Even if, even if he has a strong year here in Denver, um, I, I mean, he's still going to want a starting spot. He, he, he feels he's that player. I see no reason why he can't be or isn't. Um, last year, notwithstanding, it was a rough year for him. But between fit and money, and, you know, at that point he'll be 30. I mean, it's going to be interesting to see what teams do, but I doubt he's going to get a, a, a big deal in his future. He will definitely more than likely get a contract better than the one he has now, which is the minimum, but that that's not going to happen for him. So that is that is kind of sad. I mean, you go from fifth in MVP voting, you carry the Boston Celtics team, you know, to the playoffs, you really put them on your back, you had the little guy's story going, but you played, like you balled, and, and now – 
you know, you're here, you're still in a great situation. I'm saying if you're Isaiah Thomas, it's almost like DeMarcus Cousins coming off his injury on a team where that's the best possible option for him, but in two different ways. For DeMarcus, we already talked about this before, so I'm not really going to go into it, but, you know, there's no pressure on him when he's healthy, he comes in, he's on a team that's almost guaranteed the title. For Isaiah Thomas, you're going to get the numbers, you're going to get the time, you're playing with a coach you're familiar with, you're on a team that's literally the best fit for you. I think it's it's a great fit for him, and a great starting point to really bounce back, you know, from that bad year he had last year. So all in all, this is great. Um, on the Brooklyn side, I'm telling you, man, I just love Sean Marks. Um, you know, he continues to build for the future. Um, the two picks they got are for players that will take up use cap space that they weren't going to use anyway. Um, one of them will probably be, be bought out, and the other one can be a good mentor for players like Rondé Hollis Jefferson or Jared Allen, who you know could learn more about, let's say, rebounding, because um, Ken Freed has a career rebound percentage of 18.3, and offensive rebounding is something that he's huge at, which is a weakness for Rodney Hollis Jefferson. If you watch him, he's for whatever reason, not really good there. He only averaged 6.1 rebounds per game total. So, you know, just learning from there where to be and, and how to position yourself and, and having a motor and playing with the player who, who, who still plays that way. That's kind of his, I mean, he's the manimal, you know, I think he's the one staying as you can kind of hear the way I'm going, but they're going to get, um, veteran mentorship they're gonna have time to play they're gonna have time to grow and they also don't take away time from a jared allen and around hollis jefferson and the space you have is only going to increase because you already kept most of that space by getting rid of jeremy lynn you replace players that are going to be leaving and you grab two extra draft picks for the trouble of all that that's just sean marshman since he's been there i can't think of another gm who's really taken a, a team and you know the results are yet to be determined but to put them in so much of a better position than where they were going in yeah, it's huge. I mean, this is basically this is a clinic on how you kind of rebuild and collect assets for a team that didn't have draft picks since he's been there. They finally have their picks moving forward after that Celtics trade. Um, but again, using using your salary cap space to take on assets when you're not going to be competing is the way to do it. And a lot of teams – listen, the Hawks could have done this trade with the Nuggets. The Hawks could have taken Farid and Arthur for these picks. But instead – the Hawks, for some reason, valued Jeremy Lin enough to take on his contract, um, and they didn't really get good compensation, a 2025 second rounder and a 2023 second round swap, um, and the Hawks gave the Nets a 2020 second round pick. So they viewed Jeremy Lin as a player that they want, um, I guess, to play him a decent amount. Maybe they, you know, maybe a Dennis Schroeder trade is coming, but that hasn't seemed to you know, be rumored that much because people don't want him on that contract. He's been an issue in the locker room before. They've got Trey Young. The Hawks are a team that should have done this trade with the Nuggets. Instead, they take on Jeremy Lin, who doesn't fit with their timeline, doesn't really fit at all in terms of really anything. Um, he can play there. He can be a nice veteran player. He's a good player. He's got a lot of injury concerns, obviously. Um, but by doing this trade with the Nets, the, the Hawks actually helped the Nets do the trade with the Nuggets. Why aren't the Hawks were, you know, even worse in terms of rebuilding and in terms of the stage of the rebuild? Why aren't they doing that trade with the Nuggets to get the picks for the dead salary? I mean, they have the salary cap space. They could have just gotten more draft picks to add to their rebuild. Uh, it's very confusing from the Hawks' perspective. Love it from the, Nugget, the, the, the Nets' perspective. Understand it from the Nuggets' perspective. I can't say I love it because it always sucks when a team has to trade depth and, and first-round picks and assets, basically, to get off money because an owner, a super-rich owner, won't pay money for this team that's going to be a playoff team. That I can never kind of really defend, honestly, for terms of we're looking for teams that want to be as competitive as possible. Um, I understand it from them. Love it for the Nets. 
honestly, I think I'm close to saying I hate it for the Hawks. I just do not understand it at all in terms of how they how they are not the ones getting the draft picks for taking on Fareed and Arthur. Instead, they're helping the Nets do that by taking on Jeremy Lin with no basically asset um, accumulation um, for taking on that contract and then help the Nets do the trade in which the Nets gets, get the first round picks and they'll probably be further along in the rebuild now because of this. I mean, you notice I didn't mention the Hawks at all because either the, my thinking on this is either, either their front office is light years ahead on this whole thing and know something that we don't know or they are, are very, very short-sighted in their move and I, I'm not even giving them any respect for that because Jeremy Lin coming off of yet another injury um, you know, only one year on his deal, I, I guess would be a good mentor for Trey Young and, and play well with John Collins, but you're you're not you're not doing all of that or not facilitating facilitating in the deal to gather picks because you believe in Jeremy Lin that much as a player. That's just not happening, not now. You know, this is especially twenty nine, coming off of multiple injuries at this point. As much as I like Jeremy Lin, he's not that kind of asset that you would bow out or or for whatever reason not engage in a trade where you would get significant draft assets back or at least anything more than two second round picks that the closest one you can get is five years down the line that that makes zero sense so i don't really know what to make of from atlanta side but i love it for brooklyn side and i'm okay with it for denver's um no harm no foul for them brooklyn again i'm just all in on them as far as their rebuild and how they're going atlanta really no comment i i don't understand it I agree completely. Um, so let's move on from that trade, or, or those trades actually, and go to another Western Conference team. And we can kind of group this because there are a couple of moves that affect the Houston Rockets. So the first one that was reported was that, so they obviously we talked about they lost Trevor Reza, um, and they signed Marco Carter-Williams, and that was basically the offseason until um, basically, I want to say almost like a week ago, by the time you people are listening to this, it'll be about a week Luke Mabamute actually left to go to the L.A. Clippers. He's, so he, he was on the Clippers for two years before joining the Rockets. He goes to the Clippers now for one year, $4.3 million. And, and at, at this point, given the Rockets' offseason at that moment, um, they had not signed James Ennis yet. Um, and the rumor was that they were looking at Carmelo Anthony. At that moment, I had thought that someone had maybe drugged Daryl Morey or something and I don't know, kidnapped him. Or, <laughs> I don't know, something about it. Because... The Rockets could have offered more money to Mbamute. They could have used the taxpayer uh, exception, which I think would have been around $5.3 million if they wanted to give it all to Mbamute. Um, but apparently they did not because they could have given them more money and Mbamute had all those comments that he would like to stay. Um, but apparently the Rockets did not. I think the, the report was that the Rockets were trying to get him to take the minimum again. Um, but after a good year he had last year, I mean, listen, his shoulder injury, you know, People say, oh, on Twitter, they're like, oh, he was terrible against Golden State. Oh, he did nothing in the playoffs. He was hurt. Yeah, he was hurt. If you watch the Rockets in the regular season, I think Mabamute, you can make the case, was maybe their fifth most, sixth most important player. You know, that's not, you know, obviously he's not a top three player. He's not a star. Not, not, a, not even really a great role player, but perfect for the fit. Great defensively. Became a, a capable shooter. Became a little bit more willing to shoot. Can handle the ball a little bit. Listen, I mean, unless the Rockets thought that his shoulder was going to kill him moving forward or they just didn't want to give him the money. It, it looks like they're going to save that exception for Carmelo, um, which basically they, they look like the, the heavy, heavy favorite from all reports that they're going to get Carmelo Anthony. And it's only a matter of maybe days or hours until Melo's either traded. I mean, well, not really traded anymore because teams don't have cap space anymore, but probably waived and, and stretched or stretched, stretched and bought out something like that. Carmelo and OKC are going to be gone maybe as soon as this week. Um, and he's probably going to go to Houston. Mabamute's gone. He's going to the Clippers. And the Rockets finally made an actually significant addition a little middle of last week when they added James Ennis on a two-year minimum deal, second-year player option. And James Ennis is 
an underrated player. I've always been a really, really big fan of James Ennis. Um, he's kind of, again, a 3-and-D guy. The, the three, some years, is hit or miss. The defense is obviously not as good as Mabamute, but Ennis is more of a Trevor Ariza-like replacement. And honestly, I wouldn't be surprised if, given their situations, Ennis looks better and plays better uh, and has better stats than Ariza next year because Ennis is going to get a bunch of wide-open threes now, high-quality looks. Um, Mike D'Antoni always makes sure that team that his players are not afraid to shoot. He's made P.J. Tucker a pretty willingly shoot, a willing shooter. He made Mbamute a more willing shooter. Uh, I think that Ennis will get more comfortable shooting those threes. He'll get open looks. Um, he'll play defense. He could actually have a starting role, honestly. If they get mellow, I, I still think that they're not going to convince him to do a bench role, and he'll probably start at small forward or maybe even power forward. But Ennis will have a significant role playing over 20, 25 minutes a game for the Rockets team. That's going to be um, probably a top four seed. Um, so I get it for his perspective, right? It's only a minimum this year, but he has that player option. So if he plays well, and we know what happens with guys who can play sometimes in a Mike D'Antoni system or with other star players like Harden and, and Chris Paul, is that you get your stats better, you're seen more on a contender, uh, and you fit the role in a, in a bigger role. James Ennis could honestly have a great, very good year, opt out, and get a significant deal at age 29, I believe, in which case that might be one of his final year, final contracts. He might be looking for like a three- or four-year deal. So I get it from his perspective. For the Rockets' perspective, he was arguably the best wing available in terms of 3 and D capabilities. Um, so I love it from the Rockets' perspective. Um, but again, they lost Mabamute and they lost Ariza, and their replacements are James Ennis, Michael Carter-Williams, and Carmelo Anthony. Things aren't over yet, right? They could trade Ryan Anderson down the line, and that's why we're waiting to do free agency kind of winners and losers until the end of this month, maybe early August or something like that. Um, but they added James Ennis. They lost Mabamute, and they're rumored to be the favorite for Carmelo Anthony. Pick whatever you want to talk about and analyze that. <laughs> <laughs> you kind of threw a lot there at me. I like it, though. No, um, I, I think the loss of Mabamute is just... Uh, and when Trevor Reza left, I, I think you remember me going, oh, my God, how will Houston recover, yada, yada, yada. And you you were kind of flabbergasted as well, but we thought, okay, at least they'll bring back Mamute, um, make make a sign between the gaps. We weren't really sure about Carmelo just then. And then we thought, okay, they'll probably make a pass at Carmelo and have him, um, Mamute, and, and P.J. Tucker. And we knew that would be kind of a step down from the, 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 the top lock defense, defense that they were last year, but that would be, you know, serviceable um at this point i don't even know what to say for houston they definitely went down a notch um from golden state's level in my opinion because about mute was an integral part of the rockets defense i mean he almost i don't want to say single handedly because trevor reason was a big, big part of that clint capella obviously pj tucker but that defense went from you know end of the pack to top 10 in the league due to the versatility of those forwards. Um, P.J. Tucker, Trevor Reza, Bamute, basically, and you know this better than, than me and most others, Houston could basically switch every screen and also cover for Clint Capella to kind of just protect the rim and that be his only obligation, not really get caught too many times on switches. But it really made for a very fearsome defense because you weren't getting a break off of a switch off of the pick and roll. And offensively, he hit just enough threes to, to be to be checked out there. Same with Trevor Reza. I mean, it was just a very good forward core. And now that is definitely weakened. I like James I like James Ennis. Um you kind of went over most of the, the the stats about him as far as he shot a, a pretty solid percent from three. You know, he's a decent shooter. He shot 33% from three last year. Um six seven so he can, you know, decently defend most positions. Um a, a decent role player, 28, 
you know, so you have him. The player option's a good little deal for him, um, and we'll see how that goes. It's not a flashy move, but it definitely fills a need. But you're asking him to, to take – he's not coming in as an ancillary piece. He's definitely going to get some time and, and more of a feature role, which could be a great thing, and, and it could be a not-so-good thing. Because on the one hand, offensively, you know, he's going to have a, a play through wide-open shots. He runs the lane very well. We remember that from, you know, Houston, Detroit, Memphis, all the teams he's kind of been on, all the stops he's been on. He, he's great at filling the lane. He knocks the ball down to decent clip. And as you already stated, he's going to have plenty of opportunity to do that um, in Houston. But having that role and really taking more of the primary d- defensive options, um, you know, depending on when they get Carmelo, and I'm assuming that he's going to start because we know all how that went in o- Oklahoma City. But, um, you know, when he comes off the bench or however Houston's going to line that up, having – the, the, the option of sticking the best player on the opposite team. You're going to stick the Kevin Durant's. You're going to have the LeBron James. You know, you're going to have the Jimmy Butler's. That That's your option. I think he's more than a serviceable, serviceable defender. I don't know if I'd put him up there with the upper echelon of wing defenders, but here he is, and he's going to have to take that role for Houston. Um, I don't think it's crazy to think that the defense will take a major step back. Do you? No, and and, and because they, they lost two good defenders in Ariza and Babamute, and they're replacing them with one good defender in James Ennis because Carmelo is bad defensively. Michael Carter-Williams, we, Michael Carter-Williams is good defensively, but we don't know yet what his role is going to be, if he's going to actually get like playing time, so we can't really talk about him in this in this kind of scheme um, of things. So as of right now, their defense is going to take a step back. I think they were 6th last year. I, w- I wouldn't be surprised to see him like 11th or 12th or 13th, honestly. Again, it just depends about Carmelo, how much playing time he gets, how, what his role is. I mean... If he, puts him, if he comes off the bench, he's playing against less talented offensive players if he goes against opposing bench units, which would be helpful. But we don't know if he's going to agree to that. But yes, I agree. Their defense will probably take a, te- take, a, take a step back. Offense will be you know, probably you know, just as good, honestly. I mean, if you replace role players with other role players that can shoot threes, the offense is driven by Harden, Paul, Capella, basically. Um, and Carmelo... See, I, uh, go ahead, yeah. Oh, no. That's what I'm going to say. I think that's like... I do think that playing in Houston right now is very much a system-type deal. But I think that's also part of and we'll see how the season goes, but more of Daryl Morey's undoing in that sense. Because I don't think, and this is, of course, my own opinion, that he put a proper priority on those ancillary pieces that were also free agents. I mean, it was a tough decision because you already had, or, or tough decisions, because you had Chris Paul, you had Clint Capella, you have Trevor Ariza, you have Abamute. Um, you can even say Joe Green. You need to bring um, Chris Paul back for certain. I'm not even going to go into the Clint Capella situation, Mm -hmm. but you would think Daryl Morey, the way I'm looking at it, he thinks, okay, role players can be just interchanged with other role players and the system will still work and the train will keep on rolling. But these are role players that were integral to the part. You know what I mean? It was like, if you say that Chris Paul, Clint Capella, James Harden were the engine that really drove the the train that was Houston, then you have to make, um, Trevor Reza and LeBron Mute the wheels, or, or I don't even know the, the steering wheel. Something they were they weren't like the main part of it, but they were definitely needed to keep this thing rolling. And I think for the front office to have kind of a, a, a thinking that oh we can just replace them and interchange them with other pieces, and that we'll still keep the same you know the same type of play is 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 faulty for one because I mean even. Someone like me who I, I watch the NBA, I watch Houston. I'm not, I don't watch it like every game like you did. But I can tell you off the bat, it's not going to be the same, especially when you could have afforded to keep those players. Trevor Reza, I get that. One year, $15 million, you could have, but I, I kind of get the thinking on that. Bob Mute, in my opinion, as you already stated with the financial situation, there was no excuse. You could have brought him back. 
I mean, he's developing a serviceable three-point shooter. You can say what you want about a shoulder injury, but defensively, we already went into all the, the assets and attributes that he brought to the table on that end. There was no reason not to. And I think Houston's front office having that, that mindset could be a, a, a detriment and bite them in the butt in the long term. Yeah, so here's, here's, the, here's my take and what, what all the kind of reports have been about the situation is that Tillman Fertitta bought the Rockets – before last season, and he was he was worth I think 2.7 billion or something like that, and he bought them for about 2.2 I believe. So he spent a vast majority of his net worth on this team. Now he came out. There was comments through various points of the regular season. I think even as recently as March and April, he said that he would be willing to pay whatever it takes in terms of luxury tax to keep this team together because they're a contender. Fast forward to free agency, they could have they could have retained Trevor Reza. Maybe not $15 million a year. Maybe they would have given him 12 or $13 million a year, but for multiple years. Ariza would have loved to stay in Houston. He probably would have loved to have that um, flexibility in terms of years because he's 33. Um, we don't know if that was offered. Maybe we won't find out for another year. Maybe there's going to be an article. You know, if the Rockets really collapse or, or, or eliminate it early in the playoffs, there could be like that expose article about how, you know, they didn't even offer him that. But they could have they could have given him that offer. They could have given him you know twelve million a year for two or three years. He probably would have taken that. You could have given Mamute back. Could have offered him upwards of five point three million dollars. They didn't do that apparently. Um, this has Tillman Fertitta not wanting to spend as much money as he says written all over it. I mean, I would not be surprised if Maury went to him and said, you know, this is the contract that Arisa's getting. Let's give him an offer, and Tillman Fertitta is basically saying, I, I don't want to pay that much for him. Go get a cheaper option. Hence, you get James Ennis. Hence, you get Michael Carter-Williams. Hence, you get Carmelo Anthony for either a minimum or part of the exception for $5 million or less, and that's what you get, and not have to pay Trevor Reza $15 million. The Mamamute one has front office kind of written all over because they could have just given him you know, probably the same or if not a couple million more. I mean, not a right. couple million, but just a little bit more, like five million. Um, that has more front office written all over it. The Ariza one has luxury tax avoidance written all over it. Not avoidance. They're going to pay anyways, especially when they re-sign Capella, but huge luxury – to cut down their bill, luxury tax bill. That has that written all over it. Um, getting Ennis for the minimum, obviously, hence trying to save money. Um and, and even recently, I think it was last week, someone asked Tillman Fertitta, if, and he said that luxury tax has not been brought up in any of their free agency discussions, which is – it has to be a, a flat-out lie because <laughs> – Seriously. It, I mean, no, it does because if they weren't brought up, then Ariza would still be a rocket. And maybe Mabamute wouldn't be because that has more of a – that has more of a kind of front office decision kind of feel to it. But Ariza would still certainly be a rocket. Um, and that's just what it is. And it's just the guy who spent the majority of his money – to buy the team, does not want to spend as much anymore to keep the team fully together, wants to keep the core and kind of change out the role players for cheaper contracts, um, and that's going to hurt them. That They're not anywhere close to a real threat to the Warriors at this moment, um, you know, and that's just what it is. That's what happens when your ownership changes and you get an owner that, that can't or doesn't want to spend as much money. If they had Leslie Alexander as the owner right now, I'm sure Ariza's brought back. I'm sure Mbamute is brought back if they wanted to offer him more money. Um I'm sure they go after you know other players that want you know get you know so that's just what it is in my I mean in my opinion and honestly all the Rockets people um, even all the reports of national figures that have kind of reported on this like dunked on and you know um, 
I think it was Tim McMahon of ESPN who, who, who had the story. Yeah. Basically, it comes down to this. It looks like the Ariza move was luxury tax related. Mamamute seems like more of a front office decision in terms of bringing in Ennis and Carmelo instead of Mamamute and, and Ennis. Um, but that's just what it is. So some of it is luxury tax related. Some of it seems like it's the front office making decisions. And we'll just see what happens. I think they're still in a very elite team, but a, a, an elite team that really, if they played the Warriors right now, would probably lose in, in five or six, honestly. Oh, yeah. I mean, I, yeah. I honestly wouldn't even put a pass in to get a, if they get a sweep. I'm not going to lie. And maybe honestly, that's just... Yeah, probably not. <laughs> yeah, because, oh, man, they're just going to be very interesting to see. And if they – I'm pretty sure they'll bring back Capella. But if they bring back Capella, and I don't want to stray too far from what we're talking about, on the qualifying offer, this is surely a L for the offseason for the Rockets, if it isn't already. Can, is that safe to say? Oh, absolutely. I mean, if, if he takes a qualifying offer, it's almost close to like a – not I wouldn't say full disaster, but just for, for their situation, I guess you could consider it a disaster, being how close they were to the Warriors' last playoffs and then having this offseason. Again, if, if they re-sign Capella, it's not as bad. If he takes a qualifying offer – and can become an unrestricted free agent in summer of 2019, that could be a disaster for the Rockets. But we'll, we'll see. I mean, that Capella situation might not be resolved for another month, honestly. Oh, yeah. Yep, we'll have to just wait in and see what happens. All right, so those are kind of the big signings. I mean, we've got a list here. What, what other signings do you want to talk about for you know a couple minutes here or there? You know, it's funny. I'm, I'm honestly still reeling from Houston, but one thing that was more shocking to me, and it's not really a big deal altogether. In fact, I mean, you look at it, it's not much note of anything. But just because being an NBA fan, as we both have been for so long, to see a familiar face in a new uniform after all these years, Tony Parker leaving San Antonio to go to Charlotte, I'm sure we talked about exposés exposés and everything, that it wasn't as simple as, oh, Tony Parker wanted more of a role and San Antonio wasn't going to give it to him, and so he left. I am of the opinion that there was more to it. I won't know, you know, until it comes out if there was. But that, to me, was a, a shocker out of nowhere because there was rumblings, you know, to the end of the season when they asked him, he Tony Parker said he wanted to play 20 years and he was going to be positioned to play that long. During the offseason, if I remember, um, he floated out, I think it was around draft time, that, you know, if San Antonio brings him back, he would love to play there, but he'll play, you know, somewhere else if he has to, and that is what it is, the business. You know, standard players speak. I did not see him actually leaving. And to see the fit in Charlotte, to back up Kemba Walker, who I thought was leaving, I, I don't know. It, it's a lot to talk about, but it's actually nothing to talk about. I'm just – I'm one of the people that are interested. I kind of want to hear your take on it because I just think it's weird. It's one of those moves that are like – it's like Dwayne Wade to the Bulls, but not nearly as important, you know, or even much to talk about, but it's just funky, you know? Yeah, so I, I, you basically said it. It's, it's like a lot to talk about, but also nothing to talk about in terms of like <laughs> on the court. Like Parker is finished. I mean, he, he can handle, he can capable, he can give you a little bit here and there. To give him this deal when there are guys like Shabazz Napier um, who ended up signing with the Nets in two years, and we don't, I don't think we know the money value yet, but it's probably cheaper than five million dollars per year. But to give Parker this money when they could have got a guy like Napier who's younger, could actually grow and develop a little bit more, is better right now, uh, makes no sense from the Hornets' perspective. Um, basically, that's my that's my take on this. It's super weird. It'll be super weird to see him in this uniform, um, not in a Spurs uniform. There's probably some weird internal things in San Antonio that played into this as well, but. Really, and when you want to talk about the basketball fit for the Hornets, it makes almost no sense when they could. There are other guards on the market, point guards specifically, that are better than Parker, and that they probably could have had even cheaper than Parker. Honestly, um, that's. I mean, that's my take. I mean, he's he, he can handle the ball a little bit. He can kind of create a, a little bit of a mid-range shot right now, but he doesn't space the floor. Was he 37 now? He can't play a lot of minutes. Uh, injury prone at this point. I mean. 
for a guy for a team that's I mean and, and listen last year the Hornets backup point guard situation was a complete disaster hey Michael Carter Williams you're now a Houston Rocket Rockets fans enjoy that a lot um <laughs> He was just so bad last year. So basically, oh, every man. time Kemba Walker went off the floor, they would just get completely killed. I mean, they were one of those teams, and I don't have the stat in front of me, but they were one of those teams that had a very good net rating with Kemba on the floor and this, with their starters. And then Kemba goes off, and they had, I think, one of, if not the worst league rate, net rating in the league. So, to, to, you know, does Parker even help that? No, not really. I mean, if you take Kemba off and you put Parker on, the, on with the bench unit, it's just going to be terrible still. So I would have preferred them going after an, a different point guard you know, Shabazz Napier would have been pretty good there. I mean, it would have been fit. He's younger, probably could have had a little bit cheaper, if not the same deal. It could actually grow. It doesn't make sense for the Hornets to get Parker, honestly, especially on this kind of deal. And it's just weird to see, but it's probably not going to turn out very well on the basketball court in terms of his fit and his ability to produce for the Hornets, a team that's probably looking to make it back to the playoffs next year. Oh, yeah. I, I'm seeing total shades of Hakeem Olajuwon to the Raptors yeah. and Patrick Ewing to the to the Supersonics, and we forget after that there was the Orlando Magic too. But yeah, just a weird fit that, that might not work well for either parties. But you know, Tony Parker, get your money. Um, you have any moves that you thought were interesting? Yeah, so there's one that you know it's it's a, it's a little bit interesting, and it kind of you know was a little bit surprising. I think Brooke Lopez going to the Milwaukee Bucks, one yeah. year, three point four million. Um, a lot of people kind of maybe expected that the Lakers would just bring him back as a, a someone who could actually space the floor around LeBron and play Seriously. at center, a team that needs shooters and a team that needs centers, really. Um, but no, he went to the Milwaukee, and this is interesting because you know the, the Bucks previously in the offseason signed Ersan Ilyasova, three years, $21 million. We were both pretty down on that contract when we, when we analyzed it on the July 1st show. Um, again, they let go of Jabari Parker now, and they bring in Brooke Lopez again. So they need more shooting around Giannis. Um, I like it on the offensive end of the floor, right? He can still handle the ball. He can still kind of, you know, give it to him in the post here and there. But really, he's going to space the floor, uh, shoot threes, um, and be a big guy, honestly. Um, defensively, I don't like it, excuse me, as much. Because if I'm the Bucks and I'm Budenholzer, I want to start implementing this switching scheme, right? We've talked – I mean, I've talked about this enough on the show where I think that that's, like, that's the modern defense. And, right, not every team can do it. A team that has a traditional big – like a Nurkic, a Jokic, a Cousins, really, for the most part, you really can't do that because they just can't keep up on the perimeter. You, you know, you have to have the right ingredients to do a switching defense, like a Clint Capella center, uh, maybe like a Nerlens Noel, some of those mold who can actually switch and hang on the perimeter. Some of these guys coming out of college, um, Jaron Jackson is a perfect example of a modern center, uh, Wendell Carter, etc. Um, I thought that the Bucks should still continue to look to do that kind of scheme. You've got Giannis, you've got Chris Middleton, Bledsoe, um, Tony Snell can switch. Brogdon, I mean, there are guys who can switch. Don McCurr, uh, or Maker, I guess how you pronounce it, can be a guy who can grow into a switching big man. Um, but it looks like with this signing, and we don't know exactly what his role will be, if he starts, how many minutes he plays, but when he's on the floor, you're not doing a switching defense. Um, I'm not going to kill them for it. It's only 3.4 on one year, and they need the shooting. Um, I think I, I like this much better than the Ersan Ely Silver signing. Um, but in a vacuum, they kind of add him to Ersan Ely Silver to provide more shooting. They're going to continue, I guess, to stray away from switching defense. If not, maybe they'll switch only on the perimeter and you know maybe have their bigs do a traditional drop-back scheme or something like that to defend the rim. But I think it's fine. It, it, there's really little risk. I like the shooting that he can provide. Don't like the defensive fit. Um I think it's I think it's a fine fit that makes more sense on the offensive end, obviously, than, than the defensive end for the Bucks. Yeah, I, I think I didn't even look at it almost from a Milwaukee perspective. You already kind of stated that they're going to stay more traditional. I think it'll stretch the floor, um, give more of a release valve for Giannis, especially having more shooting at the five. 
um, and Erson at the four. I think it's going to be a nice fit. Defensively, you already went into it. I'm kind of shocked that the Lakers did not make, I, I guess, a significant or substantial enough offer to bring Brooke back because not only does that mean that JaVel McGee is probably our starting center. Thank you. Um, that I can't believe I just <laughs> said that. But not only does that mean that that is the case more than likely, but also, you know, the Lakers have already talked about bringing in Rajon Rondo, Lance Stevenson, having other ball handlers to kind of take the ball out of LeBron's hand and have him play, you know, kind of transition to the latter stage of his career, you know, back to the basket, more post-up kind of play, um, less facilitating up top, which is less effort for him and less work and exertion on that end. At the same time, playing traditionally with LeBron James, you like to have a center who can shoot or a big man who can stress the floor, just in general. So even if the Lakers are changing more of the way they play to kind of acquiesce to LeBron's new transition or, you know, whatever deal they've come up with to kind of keep that going, Brooke Lopez, if nothing else, stretched the floor great. He's only 30. You could have had him on, like, a, a small kind of deal, number of years to dollars type ratio. Um, he could still post up just a little bit. So if LeBron wasn't on the court, he can kind of play that way. He worked really well with young kids with L.A. last year, a good locker room guy. Um, he was there. I don't really know what the story is on that, but I, I am kind of saddened to the fact that he will not be a Laker next year because I really thought that'd be a great fit, especially with the player of LeBron James' caliber where they kind of seem to – he definitely feeds off of that and having that space and, and, and having big guys who can do that, and they benefit as well. I would have liked to see Brooke Lopez brought back. But, you know, in Milwaukee, it'll be a decent fit. I don't really have – I don't feel, like you said, anywhere near the feelings that for Ursani Lissova. Um, I think it'll be a nice, decent plug-in. You know, not really much of a feeling on that, just – a team that could have used them that didn't take them, and I'm not sure what the Lakers are doing. I said that for the 80th time now. <laughs> yeah, it's confusing. Confusing offseason for them. Um, but let's see some of the other signings. So Raymond Felton we signed with OKC, one-year minimum. Amir Johnson with the Sixers, one-year minimum. Talked about Tony Parker. Kylo Quinn to the Pacers, one-year, $4.5 Kind of adds even more depth to their front court. Not entirely sure what his fit is with um, Sabonis being more of a center. They've also got Miles Turner. they got Thaddeus Young there. Uh, TJ Leaf, their second-year player now. Um, I'm not sure what the fit is, but again, I, I really like Kylo Quinn, and I, I think that he can provide them a lot um, at, in the front court. Ian Clark re-signed with the Pelicans, one-year minimum. Nemanja Bialica signing with the Sixers for one-year, $4.4 million. Um, again, adds another shooter, adds another guy who can actually you know, handle the ball a little bit to create his own shot. Um, add him with Wilson Chandler. Um, and again, the Sixers didn't. The Sixers struck out on their star chasing, but they're adding these role players on one-year deals to maximize their future cap flexibility to maybe go star chasing again when there's more stars available next year. And there's going to be a lot of free agents available next year, as we've seen, is that a, a good percentage of these signings that we've talked about in all these free agency shows are all one-year deals. So, I mean, an, an absurd amount of players are going to be free agents, and the Sixers are going to be a, a contender that has cap space, so that's good for them, honestly. Um, Yusuf Nurkic is one we, we probably could talk about a little bit, about five minutes or something like that. He resigned with the Portland Trailblazers, restricted free agent at center. So, again, one of these guys who we were kind of wondering what their market was going to be. Four years, $48 million. Um, I saw that, and I said, yeah, that's that's that sounds about right. Maybe a slight overpay, um, but, you know, pretty much what I would expect for a Yusuf Nurkic contract, especially, you know, resigning with them. Surprised they didn't really want to make him get his own test get, get his own offer um, maybe they were a little bit worried about him taking the off the qualifying offer but I don't think that's someone you have to worry about with Nurkic I don't think he's that kind of a player we have to really worry about him kind of taking the qualifying offer and then leaving um, he's a good player he was he was really important for their defense last year you know he does that traditional drop back defensive scheme um, encourages mid-range shots but they really do a good job of defending the three and defending the rim um, he's key for them not great not you know super good offensively but 
I thought this contract was, was fine for his value and for the Blazers to get him in for four years and kind of continue with their core, even though their core got swept last year. <laughs> Definitely. I think it's a win-win for both. Um, for Portland, it's kind of a, a, a goodwill-type deal to Yusef Nurkic because he did get a deal that was more than you know other teams probably could be able to um, give him as far as the open market. He got more than any other team was able to, but they also pushed his annual value down to just $12 million per season. So that's just a bit lower than most of other star-level star level centers who are going to have that type of contract in the upcoming years. So basically, a little bit less than other players of his caliber moving forward, so other centers. But it's still a pretty good deal for Nurkic, who obviously wasn't getting that type of offer out there in the open market. Um, as a player, I, I think he's good. Defensively, he's pretty solid. Offensively, he has... I mean, as a third player, you know, because you already have C.J. McCollum and Damian Lillard, and not in that order, I know. But <laughs> um, I think if you have him there, then you're okay. Um, the results of this last playoff run notwithstanding there. Um, I, I don't know how I feel about him just – I don't know. He's a solid center. But would I put – would you put – and here's a question for you. Would you put him over Jonas Valanciunas? Hmm. I, I mean – I'd probably have. I mean, that's when I'd have to like sit down and look at the numbers and, and everything yeah. like that. They're different uh-huh. players. Valentin is more of offensive oriented. Because eh. hmm. I mean, like he is, but also there's certain points where both players are are liabilities out there. But like their value to their team, like they're not players that I could plug and play on. Like I take those two as an example because I wouldn't put them on. Like let's say Stephen Adams, I could put him in Houston. I could put him in OKC. He would feel not as. I don't think he'd have you know, vastly different amounts of, of roles, but I think he'd still be a very serviceable, very solid player. Whereas your Nurkic and Valachunas, I feel, are great in certain positions and not so good in others. You know what I mean? They're more, I, I guess, like average starters, but like not, I don't know. I just, I thought of him when I thought of Yusef Nurkic as someone that like, if I gave him that money, okay, great for the team that he's on because he could be a nice kind of third fit and, and be a solid player there, but not be put into a role that he can't do. In that same token, I don't know if you'd give him – if he would ever step into that. Like, he's a solid third player. You know what I mean? On a team that has two offensive or, or two stars that are already there. You know, like, uh, you, would you say – okay, that's what I'm trying to say. Like, if with a Capella or with a Steven Adams, I could see them, let's say on the right team in the right situation, have more of a starring role. I could never see a Valanciunas or a Yusuf Nurkic have that type of role. So, for the contract that he had, I thought it was a little bit of overpay, but, like – I, like I said, I think it's a win-win for both because he gets his money and Portland kind of gives a little bit of goodwill to their player. But I don't know. It's interesting for me. Yeah, I, I just uh, – as I said, like I saw that and I was like, eh, it sounds about right. That's just basically what it was. I mean, it's a decent value for him, maybe a slight overpay, but they get their guy for four years. They keep that continuity. Maybe he's nice in the locker room or something like that. And he's good mm-hmm. for their defense. He was really important for their defense. It's not like they signed a guy who was just average uh, on both ends of the floor. You know, he's not he's not him. He himself is not like an elite – rim protector or def- defensive player he can't switch he honestly doesn't even protect the rim that much but he's physical he's a big body he can kind of d- d- deter guards and perimeter players from driving just because of his physicality and his just his, you know his presence um and he's good with their defensive scheme that would that gave him an elite top i think it was a top seven defense they had last year and that was the yeah. main part was because of him so i get the resigning slight overpay but again i don't think that they're i mean they didn't have any financial flexibility anyways they couldn't use this money anyway so I think it's good to get their guy for four years on a slight overpay, continue the continuity. If it doesn't work this season, probably a huge trade coming up to shake their core. But at this moment, they're going to try and run it back one more time and see what happens. But I'm fine with it, really. 
Okay, see, you're better than me. I kind of was there first. Well, not there firsthand, but working with some Denver friends of mine when there was the whole Yusef Nurkic and um, Nikola Jokic kind of battle mm-hmm. there. And so I had some feelings about Nurkic that kind of traveled states and can't be explained. So I'll keep it moving. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, listen, I know when that was going on. That was a weird time for NBA analysis. But, uh, um, oh, yeah. So we, we should mention, I guess, a, a trade that happened and everyone was just like, why is this even happening? But that was the three-team trade that sent Bismack Biombo to the Hornets. Um, oh, wow. Timothy Mozgov and Jerry and Grant from the Bulls. Mozgov from the Hornets, who was traded for Dwight Howard early in the offseason. Mozgov um, and Jerry and Grant ended up with the Magic. Um, and I think Julian Stone went from Charlotte to Chicago, who waived them just to open up cap space pretty much. Um, the Magic get a point guard. This is obviously not their point guard of the future. just kind of a stopgap between him and DJ Augustine until they can get that point guard of the future. Um, Grant is an interesting player, kind of fits their front office mold of, of bigger you know, height and wingspan kind of guards and, and players. Um, combining him with Jonathan Isaac, Mo Bamba, Aaron Gordon, interesting collection there. Um, it's weird. I mean, Mozgov's completely dead money. I'm surprised. I mean, we talk about untradeable contracts. We thought he was one of them. I mean, he's been traded, what, three times since he signed that contract? So no contract is untradeable, really. Um, and Biombo goes to Charlotte, and he can still provide a little bit. But again, they still got, you know, they got Cody Zeller. I guess he could be their backup. Frank Kaminsky can play, you know, center. Hernan Gomez, they have there, can play center. So it's crowded front court rotation there. But this is a trade that we don't even have to analyze. I just wanted to make sure I mentioned it um, so oh, people yeah. didn't miss it. Um, Nothing too – honestly, there's really nothing significant there. I think the biggest part is Jerry and Grant Orlando, and you can see how he fits. But, again, he's not their point guard really of the future, just kind of a stopgap. Um, Zaza Petrulia went to the Pistons on a one-year minimum, so he's basically slotted in as their backup center. And that's what my reaction is to that. Um, Davis, Ber- <laughs> Davis Bertans re-signed with the Spurs. It was interesting because it was – Either Shams or Raj reported four years, $20 million, but it's actually two years, $14.5 million. Um, the Spurs also signed, re-signed Bryn Forbes. I think it was a two-year deal, but I don't remember what the money was. Um, so basically, it seems like the Spurs are doing this thing where they don't want to commit long-term money, which is probably why they didn't match on Kyle Anderson. That was four years. They're okay with one- or two-year deals, um, but again, with Popovich's future, the team's status up in the air if Kawhi Leonard's traded they traded they kind of have to do a rebuild LaMarcus Aldridge I think has two more years left so they're not, really, they're not planning to spend long-term money they're just kind of doing short-term money for their core um it looks like they're still trying to make the playoffs and you know I don't know they signed Bellinelli they brought back Rudy Gay brought back Bertans brought back Forbes lost Anderson who knows what their Kawhi situation is by the time the season starts this is a team that you never want to count them out but again it's only July right but this is a team that it looks like they're in that danger zone of just not being they're not bottoming out, but they're not going to make the playoffs at this moment, I would say. But again, things can change. Um, but Bertans is back, two years, 14.5. Two more. We already mentioned Shabazz Napier to the Nets at two years. Um, don't know the money yet, but we can report on that when we get it um, in our next episode when we do kind of free agency winners and losers. Um, and then the final one is Wayne Ellington. We signed with a Heat, one year, 6.2 million. He was one of those basically arguably the best shooter available once J.J. Redick returned to the Sixers. It would have been interesting to see some other teams try and go after him, but again, a lot of teams didn't have money. Um, He probably wanted to stay in Miami just for the comfort of it, and he had a career year basically there last season. The one year, he probably would have wanted more years, but again, 6.2. If you have another great year, you get that maybe a longer-term deal next summer. Um, But again, the story of this free agency for me – in terms of the contracts, is just how many one-year deals there were. Um, but we can save our overarching analysis of free agency when we get to our later episodes this month and then in August. But those are all the signings and trades, I believe, that since our last episode. And uh, 
Whew, we can take a breath. We can relax. Yeah, you ran through that rapid fire. That was <laughs> just impressive. Uh, listen, that's what it is when you don't do an episode during, like for like eight days of free agency. Um, right. Things should slow down, right? We're going to hear about Melo probably this week. Um, not sure how many other – maybe we hear about Clint Capella, uh, Marcus Smart maybe. There could be some things that happen. Montrose Harrell could also be given an offer, so he was, he's restricted. There could be some things that can happen. Um, but for the most part, you know, we're hitting that time. Summer League ends, I think, in two days. Um, and then we hit the real doldrums of basically end of July, all of August – um, and, oh, and a God. decent amount of September of just no basketball, just everyone's taking their break, everyone's taking their vacations. Um, All right, so we are planning to do a free agency winners and losers sometime soon. Um, I guess we will see how this week plays out in terms of maybe some other restricted free agents offers. Maybe Carmelo finally gets resolved, some other minor signings or whatever. We could probably do that next weekend or maybe the weekend after, but that will be coming soon as one of our episodes. We will be doing um, – we'll come up with some creative shows for August, and we'll be doing our team and division previews in September. Um, but, Corbin, I, I know that you made some an announcement today on Twitter if you want to share with our listeners of, of that exciting announcement. Oh, wow. Yeah, put me on the Put spot, you on the like spot right there. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, I appreciate the handoff there. Um, I'm, I'm – oh, goodness. This is funny here. But basically, I'm happy – to now announce that I have been just oh goodness man I hate being on the spot I'm lost I now okay, here we go. <laughs> I'm blushing it's all bad no but I'm now contributing for um USA Today's um, new NBA site at it's the Hoop Analysis Net so I'll be covering my hometown Brooklyn Nets um I like to just thank Austin Hutchinson Grant F Seth and Evan Massey for just the opportunity um it's gonna be kind of great to get get back to writing it's been a while I actually enjoyed the media side still do still be doing a lot of work with the 94 feet report really excited about that um future projects very fun as well as social media side but to, to cover the nets you know I watched them from afar but now it'll be nice to kind of go back to my roots so to speak and, and really see you know more of uh let's just say the development of these Brooklyn Nets up close um you know, playing more of an eye to them, putting out some good content, and it's a great team over there. I'm, I'm happy. I'm happy to um, be a part of it. And yeah, that's that's about it. I'm gonna hand it right back to you. <laughs> yeah. So uh, as I mentioned earlier, I'm joining Grizzly. I have joined Grizzly Bear Blues on SB Nation, the uh, Grizz, Memphis Grizzlies blog. I've got an article up already about the defense, and I contributed to a roundtable. Um, and I guess I'll share this as well, since by the time okay. you guys listen to this, I will also be joining Corbin on the news site. Um, Covering the Denver Nuggets, um, team that I've always wanted to write about, looking and I've been looking for a platform to write about the Nuggets, and this seems like a nice opportunity. Um, so excited, of course, to work with Corbin again, but also to cover the Nuggets. Um, so I'll be covering Nuggets and Grizzlies for the most part. You won't be seeing pretty much any Rockets writing from me moving forward. Um, obviously, I'll be tweeting about them a lot. Um, of course, I'll be obviously you know, never leaving 94 feet. That, that's my baby. Um, <laughs> but obviously more of a kind of a behind-the-scenes role, um, unless obviously it's the podcast or some of our YouTube shows. So, of course, plug that. Check out 94 Feet Report on YouTube. Check out our website, 94feetreport.com. We've had a, a couple of good free agency articles. Um We've already started our 2019 draft articles from our, our man Connor Har, who's doing some great draft work um, for us. Um, so check us out on the website. Check us out on Twitter at the 94 Feet Report. Um, you can follow me on Twitter at Eric Spiros MBA, which you'll get all the updates of where I'm writing, epi- uh, updates on our podcast, when we're recording, what episodes we're recording, etc. Um, and Corbin, where can they follow you? And especially now that you have more writing that's probably going to be coming out soon, they should definitely be following you now. 
Oh, wow. Well, <laughs> I will definitely still be at the 94 Feet Report. Um, so cover me there, trying to, you know, start stuff there. Um, at Corbin Ford NBA is where you'll see some of my work. Um, where I'm at now or where I'll be start writing is at Hoop Analysis Net. So hopefully I'll be sharing some of that there. You can see some of my work there. But ultimately, you know, things are still the same, still on the 94 Feet Report. Um, probably going to be putting some fun little trivia stuff out and, and getting more interaction during the doldrums of the summer that is fastly approaching. Um, aside from that, yeah, at Corbin Ford NBA, I'll be firing that Twitter account up too, you know, trying to work more of a balance there. It'll be fun. Good, good stuff coming up. I can promise you that. Good stuff. Absolutely. Good stuff coming up all around. Um, so follow us, follow the site. Um, and we'll be in touch with when we figure out what we're going to record and when we're going to record. So just follow us and you'll be up to date on the podcast and everything like that. Everyone can relax um, and take care of a nice week and enjoy kind of starting your vacation for the most part um, in these coming weeks. Take care. All right, y'all.